Well, one time there was a guy and he was sitting at a bar and he was dejected and he was sitting there just looking at his drink and he stayed like that for about half an hour. And then a rowdy truck driver came up and sat next to him and took the drink from him and gulped it down. And the poor man started to cry. And the truck driver said, come on, man, I'm just kidding. I'll buy you another drink. I can't stand to see a man cry. No, it's not that, he said. This day is the worst day of my life. My alarm clock didn't go off this morning and I was late to work. My boss, outrageous, fired me. And then I left the building and I got to my car and I found out that it was stolen. And the police said they couldn't do anything about it. So I had to call a cab to return home. And when he dropped me off, I realized I left my keys and my wallet and my cell phone in his cab, but he was long gone. And when I went inside, I found my wife in bed with another man. So I slammed the door and I walked to this bar in the rain. And just when I was thinking about putting an end to my life, you come in and drink my glass of poison. (laughs) Anybody here ever had a bad day? If you live long enough, you will have a bad day. You will have a day where you say something you wish you would not have said, where you do something you wish you would not have done. You will have a day where you get into a shouting match with a guy in the basement of the Boston Common parking garage. You will have a bad day. That happens to all of us. There will be days that go down in your book under the chapter, Not My Finest Moments. And Jonah had one of those bad days in chapter 4, as we will see. But I don't want to really talk so much about the bad day as much as what God does and how God deals with us when we're having one of those days. That is not our finest moment. So if you'll turn with me to Jonah chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 1. If you remember back last week, Pastor Hope told us the people of Nineveh repented and turned from their sin And they came into the light of the God of Israel, and they were spared. They were saved. But this, verse 1, was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. Have you ever heard of a non sequitur? It's where the logic doesn't follow, where it doesn't go right, it doesn't go together. This does not make any sense with that previous statement about the city of Nineveh being saved. Why would Jonah be displeased? Why would he be angry? That does not make any sense. Maybe it's because his sermon turned out to be a flop and he was wrong and Nineveh was not overthrown. Maybe it was an issue of pride. Maybe it was a blow to his ego that he was wrong. His sermon about the overthrow of Nineveh, which ends up not happening, it was totally wrong. And maybe he's just hurt. But I think really what it is, it's an issue of a cold heart. Jonah did not have a heart that was on fire for God. And that's why he ran from his calling. And that's why when he finally got around to obedience, he gave a heartless, one-sentence, evangelistic sermon that in most cases would result in nobody coming forward for the altar call. Jonah's heart is cold and it's not on fire for God relating to evangelism and the good news of God's grace and God's forgiveness But he does such an interesting thing. Verse 2 says he prayed to the Lord. 
Now that's kind of fascinating to me that he would pray to the Lord at a time like this. When you think of prayer, I think sometimes of these elegant prayers, these devotional prayers that get written down in our devotional books that we read in the morning. These really pretty prayers that have poetry to them and they sound nice and they make the person praying them look devout. If you think of prayer like that, and sometimes I do, then you're not going to understand that it's actually okay for Jonah to pray at a moment like this when his heart is not in the right place. Prayer sometimes is messy. Sometimes prayer is tainted. You read the Psalms sometimes and you'll come across those imprecatory prayers, those imprecatory Psalms, which means that those are prayers written in rage and anger. Those are prayers and they're in the Bible and therefore, and therefore, Prayer is not just for those moments when we're in a good mood and when we're feeling nice and we have something beautiful to say. Prayer is also for us when we're angry, when we're upset, when we're frustrated to come before God and give Him our heart. And that's what Jonah does. That's the only safe place to take your anger. You get angry. You can issue that anger on another person, but that ends up being violent and wrong and sinful. If you get angry, the only safe place for it to go is before God in prayer. One writer says, rage belongs before God. And that's what Jonah does. And Jonah prays to God in his anger. And he said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew, for I knew that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. Jonah is quoting the Pentateuch here. If you read Exodus 34, there's this story of Moses. He's on the top of Mount Sinai and he has this encounter with God and God reveals Himself to Moses there in a way that is really definitive for the Old Testament. A way God had never revealed Himself before. A way that continues to guide the way Israel understands God all the way to the New Testament. This is the way God reveals Himself to Moses. I am a God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and ready to relent from punishing. The people of Israel took that revelation from God all the way to the New Testament, guiding them to the definitive self-revelation of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Our God, He's gracious. He gives us things we do not deserve. He's merciful. He's always ready to receive us. He is abounding in steadfast love. He is slow to anger. And Jonah knows this, but what Jonah's doing wrong is he's misunderstanding the logic of who God is. He's saying, therefore, therefore, because you're like this God, I am justified in running away from your call on my life. And Jonah's wrong. That doesn't justify it. But at least he's going to God in prayer. And he says in verse 3, And now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is throwing in the towel and he's given up. He ends his prayer by saying, Lord, take my life. It's better for me to die than it is for me to live. You ever had a day like that? End of the day, you go to bed and say, Lord, you know, I don't really care if I don't wake up in the morning. Just take my life. Better for me to die than to live. Now, of course, in some sense, in some sense, it is better for God's people 
to be in heaven than to be on earth. The Apostle Paul said one time, I desire to be with Christ, which is better by far. Life with the Lord Jesus and God's people in heaven will be better than life on earth. But that's not the way Paul ends his thought. Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. There's a difference between Paul and Jonah. Paul has a healthy Christian perspective of life and death, and Jonah is giving in to despair. It will be good for us to be with Jesus in heaven, but the timing on that one is God's and not ours. And right now, our life, your life, your life right now, it brings joy to other people in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm convinced that I'm going to continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Your life matters to the people who love you. Your life brings them joy. And there may be days when you feel like throwing in the towel, but what you got to do is go before God in prayer and say, God, this is really the way I feel. And then let God come to you by His Spirit and lift you up and give you hope and put you back on your feet. That's the way Jonah ends his prayer. It's a prayer he gives in anger. It's a prayer that's flawed. But it is nevertheless a prayer. And I love what Calvin says about this prayer. In writing about this specific prayer of Jonah, Calvin says, Many of the prayers of the saints are faulty, which when tried by the right rule deserve to be rejected. But the Lord, according to His own mercy, He pardons their defects so that these confused and turbulent prayers yet retain their title and honor. A lot of our prayers, they're messed up, they're flawed, they're faulty. They do deserve to be rejected. But our God is merciful and He pardons the defects and those confused and turbulent prayers that we give to God, they retain their title, they retain their honor. They are still prayers. And God receives them at prayer as prayer because our God is merciful and He's gracious And he takes our messed up prayers and he gives them the dignity of dialogue with God. And so you don't need to worry when you go home, when you go to bed, you don't need to worry how pretty your prayer is or how human or how broken. It doesn't matter. That's still a prayer to God and he receives it with joy and he gives that the dignity of dialogue with him. And the Lord, verse 4, said, Is it right for you to be angry? Now, I don't think there's really anything Jonah can say in response to that, and so he doesn't. God hits the nail right on the head. Jonah, is it wrong for you to be angry about the salvation of the city? And Jonah says nothing. Maybe he's convicted of sin. Maybe he's ignoring the question. Maybe he's defiant and he still thinks he's justified in running away from God's call. But he doesn't say anything. All he does is walks away Then Jonah went out of the city. He sat down east of the city. He made a booth for himself there and he sat under it in the shade waiting to see what would become of the city. 
Now, remember last week when Pastor Hope told us about the worst sermon in history? It was one sentence long. It was from Jonah, and he said, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, if I came in here and my sermon was one sentence, and I said, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown, and then sat down, she would be appalled, you would be appalled, and that would be the last time I was ever with you. I can guarantee. That would be terrible. But you know what's miraculous about the way God works? Even a horrible sermon. God can lift it up and work on people's heart. And the whole city repents. Verse 10 in chapter 3 says, the people immediately repented and they turned to the living God. And that was to Jonah's chagrin. And Jonah's angry. And he's angry that his sermon doesn't come to pass. That Nineveh is not overthrown. And so he decides, well, I'm still going to go wait until day 40 and see if maybe, just maybe, God will really overthrow the city. Now, does that make sense to you? God has said he will not overthrow the city because they repented. And Jonah says, well, I'm just going to wait and see if maybe you still do overthrow the city. Jonah is being irrational and childish. And now if you're a normal parent, what would you do with Jonah? I think you'd either... Say, okay, whatever, and let him go and ignore him. Give up on him. Or maybe you'd issue wrath and anger and reprimand. But God doesn't do any of those things. Because that's not the kind of God that we have. Our God, He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he's ready to relent from punishing. And therefore, verse 6, the Lord God appointed a bush and he made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was very happy about the bush. God is gracious to Jonah, giving him what he does not deserve. God even cares about Jonah's comfort. A child acting so immature, God cares about his comfort and he gives him a bush for shade. But if God is going to stop there and give Jonah shade and then walk away and disappear from the scene, then Jonah's never going to be saved. He's never going to be liberated from his cold heart. And that's not the kind of God we have. We do not have a God who walks away on our worst day. We do not have a God who abandons us when we're being childish. We have a God who is gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's ready to relent from punishing. God is not going to give up on Jonah. He's not going to give up on you. Jonah decides to... um, God decides to teach Jonah something. Verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah and he was faint and he asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. If this is a presidential debate, then God says to Jonah, there you go again. There you go again saying you want to die. That's the second time he says this. But remember about God, merciful, gracious, Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, ready to relent from punishing. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Any Major League Baseball fans in the room? 
If God is an umpire, how many strikes do you get before the batter is retired? How many strikes? Three. How many times has Jonah said he's ready to die? He wants to die. Three. If God is an umpire, Jonah's out. He struck out. He's walking to the dugout and that's the end of his story. But our God, He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is ready to relent from punishing. Then the Lord said, You're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals. And that's the end of the story. It ends without an ending. And we're left hanging in suspense and we don't know if this tension between Jonah and God will ever be resolved God shows Jonah grace upon grace and Jonah kind of pushes God back time and again. And we do not know whether Jonah ultimately repents and responds to the grace of God. Jonah was wrong. He was wrong about a lot of stuff. He was wrong to run away from the call of God. He was wrong to preach condemnation. He was wrong to not care about the salvation of the city. But he was right about one thing. He was right. Our God. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And He's ready to relent from punishing. It really is true. And because that's the kind of God we serve, God does not pour out His wrath on Jonah. Our God is gracious with him and he's slow to get angry with him and he's patient with him and he reasons with him and therefore this book is not about Jonah at all. This book is about God. Jesus tells a story, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, of a son who went off to a distant country and he squandered his father's wealth and one day when he was desperate, he came home And his father welcomed him home with open arms. But the older brother became angry and refused to go in to the party that his father had thrown for the lost son. Older brother, he refused to go in to the party. He got angry. So his father, Jesus says, went out and pleaded with him. And the older brother said, this is totally unfair. I've been good and he's been bad, but he's the one who gets a party. And the father said, my son, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Now come join the party. And that's how that story ends. The story Jesus tells, it ends right there. And we don't know whether the older brother ever comes in to join the party. And that's just like the story of Jonah. God stands by. He reasons with Jonah. He says, Jonah, don't you see? You're happy. You're overjoyed about a bush for shade when you should be overjoyed about the salvation of the city. And you're angry about repentance when you should be celebrating. Jonah, I love that city. And Jonah, I love you. Now come, join the party. 
And the story ends. And I wish it ended with happily ever after. I wish it said Jonah came to his senses. He repented. God changed his heart and he had a zeal for God and for evangelism. And God and Jonah lived happily ever after. But that's not the way the story ends. It does not say that. This story ends without an ending. And we do not know if Jonah ever joined the party. And you know, that's just like the story that God is writing in our lives. We know what God has done. We know who God is. We know that He loves us. We know that He sent His Son into our world to save us from our sins. But sometimes we have bad days and we lose our temper and we have bad episodes and sometimes we act childish and sometimes we have cold hearts and big heads and don't care about our neighbors and there are times we don't care about evangelism and there are times when we don't care whether an entire city is lost. But at that moment... God makes His move towards us and pursues us and He comes to us and He reasons with us and He says, you know that I love you. Now come celebrate over the good news of what I'm doing in your city and what I'm doing in your world. Come join the party. The father went out and he stood there with his older son and he pleaded with him and said, come and celebrate and join the party. And we don't know what happened. And you know that decision, that decision that we have to make on earth today, in our lifetime, this year, this decade, this decision to join the party, you know at some point that is an eternal decision. We can choose to come in and join the party. God has come and compelled us to come in and He's invited us and the door's open. We can go in there and celebrate with God and God's people all that God has done in the world, and there will be a day in heaven where we're all together celebrating the good news of what God has done, and that's heaven. But there's a great alternative, which is called hell, and it is a real place, and it is the great outside, and it is for those who decide that they don't want to have anything to do with the party that Jesus is hosting. They don't want to have anything to do with that. No, thank you. I'm going to sit outside the city. I'm going to sit outside the home. God has come to me, invited me in, compelled me to come and join the party. But I'm going to pout. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to keep my cold heart. I'm going to turn my back. I'm going to run from the call of God on my life. No, thank you. And that's a decision of eternal consequence. And I hope that you come to your senses. I hope that I come to my senses and let God change our hearts and renew our minds and come to me and invite me in. And I hope that I come. I hope, I hope that we don't spend our lives running from the call of God with a hard heart, refusing to listen to our God calling us home. I hope that we come and accept that invitation and come join the party because there's nothing better than to see our God on our worst days come to us and pursue us and compel us to come in and join the party. To God be the glory, now and forever. Amen.
Lord Jesus, we pray that you would take these gifts and multiply them over and over, that you would use them for your glory, for your kingdom, in your world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Our God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and ready to relent from punishing. And He's running after us on our worst days and He's inviting us to come in and join the party. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His very great and very precious peace, now and forevermore. Amen. Please join hands and send each other out to be the church. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ.